Hey, 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 Revelers. We are entering into a new sort of phase here at Revel Revel. It's weird, even with our theme of how the universe just ties things together. When I first started scheduling things with people, things just sort of happened and fell into place in their own in their own pattern. And so we're having a lot of spiritual female empowerment type of stuff going on in these episodes and it's definitely coming up in the next well at least three or four and today's guest is no exception Annette Mason Gregg who I call Nettie has been a mentor to me and most of my peers for a very long time so now we get to have a nice little inspiring chat with her that should propel you into the next phase of your life in a really thoughtful way, I think, that will show you no matter where you are, it's okay and it's going to be okay. And speaking of it's okay and it's going to be okay no matter where you are, I have a big announcement. So when I started Revel Revel by saying on the introduction and by putting on the website that I will never have a sponsor I don't believe in. Well, I have my first sponsor and I decided to become an affiliate partner with BetterHelp. That's better H-E-L-P because this podcast is a lifeline for all of us, but a podcast can only do so much. We all need help and someone to talk to sometimes and the BetterHelp counselors are there for you. It is not a crisis line, it's not self-help, but it is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to leave the house or sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. In fact, I would have not partnered with BetterHelp if they didn't have financial aid because 2020 has been hard. I chose BetterHelp because the service is available for clients worldwide, just like Revel Revel listeners. There's a broad range of expertise by the BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in some areas, so you'll want to check it out thoroughly. But BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, which is why I partnered with them, because I want that too. We all are in this together to uplift and help each other and just to get through this crazy thing called life. So visit betterhelp.com slash revel revel. That's better H-E-L-P slash revel revel. And join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professional. And if you sign up, you will get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp at betterhelp.com slash revel revel. So that is the one and only sponsor that we have in the one and only commercial. Let's get going with Nettie Mason.
Hello, and welcome to Revel Revel. I am Lauren Drabble, and today I have my good friend who I call Nettie Mason, but you might know her as Annette Mason Gregg. How are you, Annette? Hey, Lauren. So good to talk to you and see you. I'm so excited to talk to you. And feel free to tell me to stop calling you Nettie, even though it's hard. <laughs> it is funny about Nettie because it's a kind of an old-fashioned name, you know? I mean, my family, I was only called Nettie my whole childhood. And Annette was, I don't even remember getting, you know, scolded saying, oh, Annette or anything like that. But I thought, boy, when I was looking for a job, um, maybe when I was like 20 or something, I should be more official and put Annette on all my resumes. And so I became kind of Annette to all my professional life. And then only people that knew me from childhood would call me Nettie. So it's funny when, you know, worlds collide sometimes and somebody that I work with gets a hold of my nickname and they call me Nettie and I feel like, hey, wait a minute, that is saved just for Lauren and my high school friend. Yeah, yeah. You don't have the right. You haven't known me long enough to call me Nettie. That's right. You have to to put a little star chart up and tell me I have to earn it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So as you know, I asked people to tell me how we met because my memory is bad. I actually have one for you, but I'm not going to say it. I want to hear what you say first. Oh my gosh, Lauren. I don't even remember how we met. I mean, I, th- I think we met in middle school, didn't we? Oh my God, no. Uh, I started Mount Carmel in sophomore year. Oh, for Pete's sakes. You know, I'm teased all the time by my friends from that day and age that I don't remember jack squat. And <laughs> I, you know, I like, it's not a bad thing. I'm not blocking out bad memories or anything, but it's kind of like, I just kept moving forward. So you know, aside from really special people like, you know, you and my dear friends or Bob Pachilio, who you interviewed or Phil Factor, you know, who you also interviewed. I mean, there's, I get the timeline screwed up, but I remember the important stuff like the, the people. So I don't know. You tell me, how did we meet? Well, okay. So you moved to San Diego when you were in middle school, right? Uh, like fifth, uh, fifth grade. Okay. And I know there are certain people that you just, I just, I don't know. And, and you, are guessing, but I'm going to make you guess just for a second, because what if I'm wrong about my memory, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty good on this one because it's a funny one. Um, Normally, it has to stand out for me to remember. Just basic stuff doesn't. So any any first impressions that you can come up with? From you? Yeah. Well, I always always kind of thought you were one of the, like the, the kind of class clown type folks. You know, you're very outgoing and very easy to talk to um, and always laughing a lot. So do, <laughs> okay. do okay. I remember that correctly? <laughs> I, I, I guess the laughing, I don't feel like I was ever making other people laugh though. So I don't feel like a class clown. I don't know. That's weird, but it's all funny how we all view ourselves versus how others view us. True. True. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's what I remember. I started Mount Carmel on November 1st, uh, sophomore year. So whatever year that was, 84, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think. And so here's the preface to that is that my mom brought me to school on October 31st to pre-register me and get all my classes and everything. And people would totally dress up for Halloween at Mount Carmel. And, you know, we came from a Catholic school uniform background. And so my mom was so freaked out by that. She saw everyone dressed up and she says, well, you'll fit in here. All right. (laughs) She was a zinger. She didn't say much, but when she did, she was a zinger. (laughs) She like set you up for a lot of confidence there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I start in November and I don't, of course, remember my first day or whatever, but I had Tuttle 
with you. Oh gosh, yeah, sophomore I love year. him. And Mark Tuttle. Oh, Mark, I can't remember his first name. So yep. I I don't remember when I met you. I just know I had class with you. And here's why I remember that. Because you were so bizarre to me because you had a bunch <laughs> of swatches on your arm. <laughs> awesome. That yeah. is awesome. And I don't <laughs> And I guess you came in late one day and Tuttle was probably waiting all semester for you to be late. And then he was like, uh, Ms. Mason, you would think that someone with so many watches would be on time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I totally remember that story now that you say that. <laughs> oh man. That whole thing about what we wore, it just made me giggle because, you know, in San Diego, our, some of our hottest months are September and October. Yeah. And, you know, as a rite of passage, you go shopping for your school clothes. And so you show up in September and you're wearing like a turtleneck and, <laughs> you know, jeans yeah. and you're just dying. You're just sweating yeah. from head to toe because you want to wear your fall clothes. Right, right. You know, you're like San Diego weather doesn't even break until maybe November and it drops down to 65. You right. know, so, right. so funny about that. Just took me back there as soon as you were telling me that story. Yeah, and we we really bonded quickly, didn't we? Because we only knew each other a few years there in, in high school. Yeah. Well, I oh. think we had you. You've talked about this many times on your show, but we really had a unique group uh, that we went through that experience with, and and you know, a lot of us shared the faith, uh, faith together. A lot of us were in Bible studies and things like that together, which which kind of gels people in a different way, you know, totally. from a normal high school experience. So I'm super grateful looking back at that whole time. You know, the other thing I think is interesting, Lauren, when you talk to folks now, we're all in our 50s, and the things that you thought, you know, people were well-adjusted just going through high school and, you know, bouncing through the tulips, they're like, oh no, my my home life was a total cluster, you know, and, you know, things like that, that you don't know until you get into these deeper conversations. And, right. um, you know, my home life, you know, and it's it's like, I guess we all got pretty good at compartmentalizing it, you know, unless you were with your, your good, good friends and they knew what your home life was like. But uh, for a lot of us, that whole high school experience was like a, a getaway, a, a safe place for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you told me stuff in high school and I feel so bad that if Pam told us, I don't remember. And yeah. I apologize to her about that, but we did not want to be at home and dealing with all that crap. We were yeah. like, let's go to yeah. where we have the safe space and our friends right. fun and get to forget about that crap for a while. And yeah. You know, you felt like you were, yeah. Yeah. To keep yeah. ourselves busy, you know? Right. And you felt like you had a little bit of freedom and, and independence from the drama. So I mean, I look back now, so I was, you know, my story, I was uh, youngest of six kids and we, my parents were alcoholics, you know, functioning alcoholics, but pretty much five o'clock every day on the hour was, you know, happy hour for the next five hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny when you grow up with that, you don't know any other way. You think that everybody's parents drink like that and, you know, but they definitely, when you you create, uh, we all, uh, all of us that have been through that situation, you know, or have gone through things like um, Al-Anon or Alateen, you know, mm -hmm. programs for children of alcoholics, you realize how you've adjusted your behavior over time to, to manage yourself and manage the chaos. And, and I was just one of those, it's a total, uh, you know, textbook case where you overachieve because there's so much chaos in, in the home that you just want to stay under the radar. You know, you don't want to be another reason that mom and dad are yelling that night. And so, you know, I was always running for office and trying to join 
every club I could and get good grades and do all my homework, you know, I was relatively a rule follower. And so, and that was just a way to, to, to kind of earn the, earn the gold star at home, you know? And, and, um, I mean, I, I've lost both my parents. They both died uh, when I was in my twenties and, you know, wonderful, loving, loving people. But I always wished I had a chance to get to know them as I became an adult, because now I kind of get it. You know, I understand the pressures of parenthood, let alone parenting six kids, you know, and it's not easy. And we didn't have a ton of money. And, you know, we all can go to therapy now and we can talk openly and we can have really good friends that we know we have to build as a support group. They didn't really have those channels back then. They weren't really equipped to handle it. So alcohol was therapy, you know. I think I would have given them a lot more grace um, now and even in my 30s if they were still alive, knowing what I know now. I hear you. And I, I don't remember what year AA started. I think it was late 70s. Oh, a girl, I think it's been around for like close to 100 years. Oh, like, yeah. Really? Like, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they never went, right? No, no, because um, I think when did my, my parents really never stopped drinking. I don't think their whole life. So they, they did stop smoking. But then, you know, it also trickled down my brothers and alcoholic. I mean, there's when you are growing up alcoholic and you have six kids, there are they, everybody has a different role to play. You know, the middle child ends up fading into the background. The oldest child makes all the mistakes. The youngest one follows all the rules. It's kind of interesting you know, to watch it all happen. But really all of us now, uh, my siblings and I are all really close, even though we're sped across the universe. I have a sister who lives in uh, the Middle East. We all just are very aware of our own vulnerabilities kind of growing up alcoholic. We've all taken our different paths to make sure we, we've broken the chain when it comes to that and kind of addiction lifestyle. And, and just even, even how it tends, like, I'll give you some examples of like just some of the emotional baggage uh, that comes along with it. Even if you don't have substance abuse issues, you know, you grow up being a people pleaser in general. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I had a lot of friends in high school because I made it my job to have everybody like me. You know, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting to have everyone like you, but I was always just, you know, a yes girl to, to everything and everybody. And that's fine. You know, people like affable people, right? That's, it's not a problem to want to be liked, but when that translates later in life, as you're getting married or as an adult or even in the workplace, you know, that doesn't really serve you. I mean, it's kind of a battle you're never going to win if you want, uh, you know, everybody to like you and you kind of deny yourself of even having your own voice. And so that's just one thing that I got, I, I think, you know, from my childhood that I had to really come to grips with and, and face. So at what point did you realize that, oh, I'm doing all of this stuff to avoid home. So I'm, I'm making myself achieve these things and it's not really for me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's funny. Um, I think there's probably been pretty clear milestones or, or uh, reckonings um, with almost each decade. You know, I mean, I think that I got married in my late twenties and I think the, I've been married now about 23 years and it was, we had a, a pretty big crisis about year 11. But when you look back at all the things that came together, it was kind of going, it was like a runaway train that had to, it had to come, it was going to hit that, that hill someday. And part of it was that I didn't really know how to ask for help, you know, and that's also because in wanting to be liked so much, you know, you have this stoic, like, Hey, I got it. I work my ass off. 
I got all this, you know, I'm successful. I'm going down this train. I'm going to be a support for everybody else, but I'm not going to ask for help myself. And I always felt like, you know, asking for help, even from friends, let alone my husband, was too needy. And that could be partially growing up with the chaos I did, but that's also just being the youngest of a big family and Midwestern, you know, I was born and raised in a small kind of corn, uh, corn town outside of Chicago and um, ag, ag area. It's very, very simple, you know, Catholic. And you're kind of just not supposed to, it's not about me, right? It's about the, the greater good of the family. It's about the tribe. And so, you know, when you're, when you're suffering, it feels pretty, it feels too um, showy to say, hey, I'm going to raise my hand. I can't, I can't handle this right now. Like, like I wasn't raised that way, right? I was raised, you just suck it up and do it. And so when you bring that kind of mentality into a relationship or even the workplace, you know, it's just not sustainable because how it was showing up for me, interestingly enough at work was that I became known as kind of a lone ranger, you know, and I always thought that was exerting good leadership, Mm. but it really doesn't benefit you in the long run because you need people. You need those relationships at work. You need that office politics to where you're kind of creating alliances. And I think one way it was showing up at work and I started to butt my head maybe in my 30s was like, okay, I wasn't making the relationships I, was, I wasn't, you know, I thought I would had. And it's because I wasn't being vulnerable enough to say, hey, I need your help with this. Yeah, vulnerability is obviously a huge thing. And we've talked about Brene Brown on this yeah. podcast a lot. Yeah. And it's super hard for yeah. people who think that they've gotten by because they've been tough and resilient and have all this leadership stuff to admit that they're vulnerable for sure. But I have a, I have a question about, you know, your leadership because Mm -hmm. you're one of the few people who I remember, I mean, basically we were kids, I guess it was senior year. It could have been junior year. I'm not sure when it was, but you know, we definitely had leadership classes Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, well, I don't know exactly what Nettie does or how she does it, but she's a damn good delegator. <laughs> and how, how does someone who's 16, 17, 18 years old become a delegator? How does that, that is really interesting. Particularly as, a, as, a, as the baby, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like right. you've got younger kids to delegate to. It's, it's you. So yeah. Right. Boy, gosh, who knows back then? I mean, I know now uh, why it's so important to let other people contribute. You know, it's not just that you physically can't do it all. It's that other people want to play the game and play in the play a role also. And if we don't delegate effectively, then we're really not letting people contribute, let alone have a better outcome, right? By having a more collaborative approach. But that's a 51 year old response. I have no idea how I learned that at 16 or 17. I mean, really, I I go back to our favorite teachers that we had. I mean, Phil Factor was our, our leadership advisor and Brad, um, Brad, I forget Brad's last name, but they probably, probably taught me that I have to say, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I learned that. Hmm. But I, I don't know. One thing I don't feel like I've ever been as a martyr um, where it's, it's like, oh gosh, I'll just do that too. You know what? Hey, bring me, I'll do it. I'll handle it guys. I got it. You know, I actually, that really doesn't sit well with me that, that mentality. And it's back to what I was saying. Like, that's just not how I write. I was raised. I was, my mom was pretty much the leader in our family. And part of the reason she didn't cope well and coped with alcohol is because she didn't 
find ways to support herself along the way. So she never was the martyr. She just sucked it up, right? Just kept sucking it up and doing it. And so that's more of my tendency is like, hey, if I can't get to it, I'm not just going to keep piling stuff on myself because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nobody wins there. And so that's that's just one thing that comes to mind is why maybe delegations come easy to me because I don't need to win any awards for for taking on too much. I don't know. It's interesting. And and it's funny you've talked about Brene Brown because I think, so when I think about, so I had the marital crisis about 11 years in, but part of it was realizing that I wasn't really letting my husband in to even raising our child. So we have a 20 year old now. And when I talk to other women about this and especially strong women, this is a real watch out for all of us because you know, it's hard for strong women to ask for help. And we can be also thinking that we got it and we don't need the help. But what that does, it doesn't really let our partners in and really let them into the conversation. So, you know, we might think, no, it's my job. I'm just going to raise my kid and I'm going to, you know, I'll be the one because he needs his mother. But, and then we don't let ourselves have a night out with the girls because, nope, it's, nope, I got to raise my kid, you know, and so we kind of wear this badge of, of, again, back to martyrdom. But over time, that really isn't uh, serving us because we're not filling our own cup, you know, we've got to have the self care, we got to give ourselves a break. And if you need to leave your kid at home one night with dad, then that's a good thing too, you know, let dad figure it out. And that might be real easy for, for people having kids now, but back when I was a young mom, that was not easy for me. You know, I felt like I, I didn't want to fail at that. And uh, I don't know how much I really let my husband, Chris, kind of walk there through me. I kind of, and, and so over time, I think that that's one of the things we really had, has gotten us to 23 years is really coming to terms with that of like, hey, I'm going to raise my hand sometimes here because I, I'm going to reach a saturation point and I'm going to need you to, to be safe. It's going, to, it's going to need to be safe for me to say that. So that really helped us. Yeah, I, I think it's easier now, but I also think that it's a lot of buzzwords that maybe mm. people aren't really taking the time to figure out in their relationship of how mm. to actually do mm. things. But mm. at least at least these concepts exist where they didn't really exist for us back then. Yeah. 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 You know, and sometimes it's like they come up and maybe we're just, we're not ready to hear them. You know, it might be you read the book, somebody told you to read Brene Brown, but it's not the right timing, you know? So it's funny when you, I mean, I'm glad y'all have talked about her before. So another huge kind of landmine for me, which ended up really rocking my world in a good way was I got laid off and I had been laid off before, you know, at our age, it's likely you're going to get laid off a couple times. But this one, I definitely didn't see coming. And it was back to that. This is probably seven years ago. And it was around that same time where I was still struggling with, am I making impactful relationships? You know, I know my work is good. I know I'm smart. I know I'm contributing. This is a work thing. But when I got laid off, I, it was real. I was real worried that I had a wrong sense of how how much I um, was really plugged in at this company. And I thought, boy, was I just, was I not seeing the signs? Maybe I didn't have the relationships I thought. Like, why was I on the chopping block? It was one of those things. Like, I just didn't see it coming. So I read, I think it was Rising Strong. Uh, that I started reading it kind of right in that middle of that time. I had about a four-month severance package they gave me. So I used that time to just really take a step back. And it was... I remember one story that she talked about in there about her publishing her own book. And when she told one of her academic colleagues that she published her own book 
he said, oh, then I'm not going to put it on my course curriculum, my syllabus, because I don't do, he called vanity work. Oh my goodness. Isn't it interesting? And it sent her reeling, like, why does this guy's opinion matter to me so much? Because I know my stuff. I'm a researcher. I've been around PhD. I'm legit. But why do I care so much about what this guy said? And as she peeled back the onion, she was realizing that she has a heavy Southern accent and she was always insecure about being a a Southerner with a heavy accent in academia, that she felt like she was always less than and was never going to measure up. The point of the story is that she encouraged in the book really to peel back the layers because being laid off from this one company sent me reeling. And I was, you know, early forties. I'm like, why do, why do I care? I got, I got this, you know, like this, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter on paper. It hasn't mattered to me in the past. Like it matters right now. So what is really going on? So I just had to peel back and go, okay, what, what is this about? And uh, why is it bothering me so much? And I think it was that I was just worried that I had a sense, a, uh, an inaccurate sense of my own ability to make relationships, you know? So it's at that time that I really got into some women's empowerment work, which has kind of served me until now and, and just became an interest in, you know, kind of just the more I read about it, the more I got into it, just learning about unconscious bias. And I realized that the setting I was in, in particular in this company, was a very hierarchical, it was a, um, a billion dollar financial company, and it was very male dominated. And I just had not been in that kind of setting before. And I think that part of it, me not being successful in that setting was that I didn't realize some of the biases that were going on. And maybe even the, my approach needed to be tailored given that type of setting. So that was one of the ahas that came out of that. And and back to the point of like, okay, when the information comes to us, are we in a place in our lives where we can receive it and really use it? And I count those four months of downtime as really kind of fertile ground for me launching my interests in in a whole different direction. Well, I totally agree. And I love to hear that because I feel like that people come into our lives at the right time, things happen even if it doesn't feel like it at the right time, like, you know, it's never a good time to be laid off. Right. But, um, and then books also come to us at the right time. And so when people come into the bookstore and they're like, you know, what do you recommend? I'm like, dude, I cannot just plop something down. No, I have to know what you read recently that you liked, you know, Uh what what are you in the mood for? Because what if you normally read, uh, deep, heavy stuff. And you think yeah. you're telling yourself, Oh, I should lighten up. Well, right. right. But your true nature is you read deep, heavy, you know, and so right. you, ha- you have to meet people where they're at. Yes. And, and it has to hit home. So, yes. you know, and, and we call that whatever we want to call that serendipity, chance, mm-hmm. fate, mm-hmm. God, the universe, right. whatever. Right. Yeah. And that these things come to you, you might not be say ready, but it's like, well, I guess it's time to learn that. It's so true, Lauren. And it's really, it's exciting when you're on the other side, you know, you get kind of tickled about how it all came together. You never anticipate it and you don't even know when it's happening. But I'll tell you what, one of the things that during this whole period, one of the things that I was going through was a outsource, part of the layoff package included going to some outsource, you know, classes where you go and with other people that have been laid off and, you know, heartbroken and whatever, and you, you learn how to write a resume or you, you know, you kind of take these classes that are free as part of your package. So I'm sitting in this class with 
other people, and they're mostly in their 40s, like me. And these are, you know, heavy pedigree people. They're legit, you know, had a telecom business or were been in biotech or whatever. And it was such, everyone was so kind of downhearted and, and off their game. And I think I just, you know, they were probably feeling what I was feeling, like, doggone it, I just didn't see this one coming. And it got me thinking, you know, especially about women, because I had also a lot of friends in their 40s that were getting divorces and were having crisis of confidence because their kids were going away to college and now they were lifelong stay-at-home moms. And now what's my purpose? And, you know, really these introspective period in our lives. And I thought, you know what? We got to get together. We got to circle the wagons and support each other. This is a, a pivotal time, whether it's a disruption like a layoff or just a cycle of life, like you're an empty nester. Like we have some negative self-talk going on. We have we're doubting ourselves, and we are we are 40 years on this earth, man. We're legit. You know, we have stuff to offer. And so that's when I got uh, a vision to start my first women's conference, which uh, I just called Rise Up. And this is back. I guess I want to say 2016 now. And I had three total, but I formed an advisory board and I had been teaching at San Diego State. I've taught there uh, since 1996. So I had a lot of the content already ready, which was kind of general life skill development content, you know, how to be an effective speaker, how to overcome self-doubt, how to brand yourself. And so I wasn't starting from zero. I had a good, you know, 10 hours of content that I could repurpose for this conference. And then I pulled some some wonderful women together from groups that I've been in to do panels with me and everything else. So at three, I want to say three months in or probably four months into my layoff, I had my first conference and it was, it was, it is, it is the, one of the proudest moments uh, in my life. Cause I got 125 people in there. It wasn't just women. It was a two and a half day conference. I netted a little revenue, you know, and when all was said and done, but that really wasn't the point. The point was just, women supporting women and you know the testimonials and just the the heart feel the heart connection we all had there where we could talk openly about yeah i'm, I'm doubting what i'm going to do now or i'm how do i find a job at 50 years old or do i even want to do this career anymore how do i switch careers how do i save my marriage i mean these were really it was a safe place and these were it was just a time i always knew like the people that show up are meant to be there and i'm just i'm just thrilled with kind of what I was able to put together. And then, um, like I said, we had three total and, and that, that just kind of worked its way through. And, and I haven't done any, any since, but um, it was the right thing for the right time, you know? So I totally agree about the whole, the people who are here are the ones who are meant to be here. I need to go back though. How, how long was it between your layoff and then this conference? Yeah. Well, I want to say I got laid off in, um, December, my last day was, you know, December 31st and the conference was mm, April 10th. So it was oh, about wow. four months. Yeah. Oh, you spent that four months wisely. Yeah. Yeah, I did. But, you know, that's how I was raised. It's like, get yeah. to work. Okay. You're, yeah. You've mourned long enough. Get off your butt and get to work. So, right. But, you know, to be fair, I had already been in some women's empowerment groups. I had, I was in, um, at the company that, that I was working, they had a women's effort there. So I wasn't starting from zero. I mean, I knew some women's issues in the workplace. I'll tell you another exciting thing that came out of it. Alison Quo, also from our, our high school, a year behind us, she introduced me to someone at her company. She was also working for a big data high tech company and they were looking someone looking for somebody to lead their internal 
women's effort. And I got hired as a consultant by them for a year and a half. So that's where I, I did a really a deep dive in unconscious bias and how to start up effective women's empowerment groups internally, women's special interest groups and mentoring programs. And I did that. And that was great. Total divergence for me. You know, I was coming from the marketing and events background and just with a side interest in women's work. And now I got to do that as a consultant. So I back to like, you know, right thing at the right time. And just I had the brain space to work on something like that. So it was really wonderful how it all came out. So, you know, when you were saying about people going through some changes like empty nesters or that's my place and all that stuff, I find that especially in your 50s, a lot of our contemporaries are going through that. And I keep saying the same thing over and over. And it's unfortunately Mm -hmm. mostly falling on deaf ears. I'm like, Mm. go volunteer somewhere. Mm -hmm. Because volunteering is the best way to get out of your own head and out of your own place and realize that you're just this one piece in the bigger picture. And and that's kind of what you did. You became a servant to that community by forming these the conference and these new partnerships. And community comes up here a lot, you know. And so um, I'm gonna ask you the typical question of Mm-hmm. what's your community and what's community mean to you? Yeah. Boy, I love that so much, Lauren, to your comment about volunteering and just other, right? Because I think when I still, I still really kind of mentor and just come alongside a lot of women. We, we actually I had a women's group here at my house last night. That was a carryover from the women's conference. We still meet about every other month, a good eh, 15 of us or so. And the brain's a, the brain's a powerful thing, but the brain can also, you know, you can change the brain. So if you're, if you're in this head spin of like, gosh, I'm, I'm not worthy or I'm, I can't get out of this or, you know, self-talk, we all know this neuroscience, right? The brain's just a muscle. You use different words, you can get yourself out of those ruts. And some, you have to just break that pattern, right? And sometimes it means getting away from that negative person or getting away from that negative job or going out and volunteering and just stop, stopping the spin in our brains. And so I can't agree enough, like, like a pattern interrupt, right? Like just get out of your own head and go do something different. So community to me, I have, I am really grateful. I do have here in San Diego, a lot of women, there are a lot of women's groups. It's actually known as somebody told me San Diego is the self-help center of the world. So there's a lot of authors around here that write books and yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, You know, the right kind of life skill books and things like that. A lot of personal coaches and over Uh, the years I've just been in and out of a lot of support kind of women's groups like that. So I have a a good group of, you know, strong spots, positive, strong women uh, that we meet regularly. And um, then I also have my faith-based group. So I'm still really involved with my church. And so I have a community over there. And then I have my, my friends that I've had through beach volleyball, which I've done for 30 years now. So I'm grateful. Here's, here's the secret sauce though, Lauren, is like, I, I know how to ask for help now. You know, it's one thing to surround yourself with people and say, I have a lot of friends, but I'm not afraid to say, boy, I need, I need to hang out with so-and-so tonight because I'm getting down. And I don't think I was always able to do that before. So that's where I'm really grateful is that I know that um, God's brought people into my life because I need people in my life. You know, it's not just so I can say I have them. I need them. And I'm, I'm okay realizing that now. That is such a great distinction to say, because you can ask yourself how we met, why are they in my life? You know, but to just say, 
regardless of maybe what my need is right now or whatever, yeah. to say, I need you in my life. Like yeah. when, if you listen to the Pam episode, I was like, wow, I really mm -hmm. needed to be hearing her positive voice mm -hmm. and stories. Wonderful. At, at a really hard time. And mm. the, it's kind of a weird thing to say, well, I'm not going to call you at, you know, 1am unless right. it's tragic. But if I'm just feeling right. bad, well, yeah. I can yeah. do a little editing on the podcast and hear your voice, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's, it's kind yeah. of, we all, we all ought to send each other like voicemails, like keep this one, play it when you're having a right. hard day. That's, that's a great idea. Well, somebody <laughs> told me something interesting one time, because one thing I had trouble doing before was kind of letting people go too. And the, as I matured, I think, you know, so I'd have to, I, I feel like I'd have to bring everybody with me at, through life. So all my high school friends had to stick with me and all my college friends, you know, of course that's not sustainable. We've lived in five different places since we were kids and, you know, you can't keep bringing all these groups of people with you. And someone said, Hey, you know, there's, somebody could be in your life just for a season. And that's yes. okay too. You know, I have friends that in, in, our, in our age now, they're like, I don't need any new friends. And I never, I don't want to be that way because I believe, you know, God could be bringing somebody in my life right now that I need and that needs me. And maybe that's just for a year or two and then we'll just fade out. And that's okay. Doesn't mean there's a failure there. It means that it served its purpose and we just don't know what's going on in the macro sense. But I think it's about being open and available. Totally. And it all comes down to what uh, Maya Angelou said that, you know, Toni Morrison brought back up and up and up and all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not what you say or what you do, but it's how you make the other person feel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if, if everything sort of tapers off in a natural mm -hmm. way, but no feelings yeah. are hurt, then that's, yeah. that's okay. And we have to say, you know what? Maybe they'll come back in another time and won't that be interesting, but not right. mean that you succeed because they come yeah. back and fail because they don't or whatever. Yeah. 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 And not, not committed to any outcome. Like we don't know what the, what the end game is going to look like. So it's like, how did we show up in the moment? right? Yeah. That's what we're called to do is show up right in the moment and be available. And it's kind of this, that's helped me as a leader too. I've had, I've managed teams most of my career now. And it's like, you know, how I show up as a leader now is completely different than the reasons I, I was trying to get the title and the paycheck back in my thirties. You know, I mean, my, my role now is to impact, to get, you know, they overuse the word empower here. So to, to grow the folks that I lead to the point where they feel safe, they feel that they have the skills to, to rise, that they have the freedom to do their best work every day. And that's a joy, you know, to be able to pour yourself into the people that you lead in that way with that kind of mindset, like that's a good day at work. It's not, you know, balancing the budget. It's like, did I pour my heart into her in, in the way that she feels honored and valued and that she, you know, can get a good night's sleep because we're all working so dang hard, you know, and I don't want work to be that place that drags my people down. I want it to be a place where they feel honored. And so um, that's, you know, that, that whole mentality shift, though, just came over all these life lessons. You know, you, you're not one way at, at home and a different way at work. I mean, everything you're learning at home in your marriage is, is something you could translate over <laughs> into your job if you're paying attention, right? Right. And paying attention, the concept of paying attention, it comes up all the time, too, because you know, I love what you said earlier about being tickled when you see it happening. Mm. I think if you don't see it happening 
And then the universe whacks you on the head, like wake up, you're not paying (laughs) attention. Then, then you are sort of shocked, awed, amazed or whatever, but you don't get to enjoy it at the time. And the enjoying at the time of being present and paying attention, seeing it happen, you can go, wow. And that is like a tickle. And it's like, it's a little buzz that sort of carries you along to the next thing. And it's so hard, isn't it, Lauren? Because, you know, the whole concept of mindfulness and being present, I think that's probably something I will struggle with my whole life because I have this, you know, high energy need to do all the time. And it's really hard. When I hear the terms, you know, mindfulness and being present, I think of somebody doing yoga and I I just can't do yoga. I have tried it. I just can't. I cannot sit still. I I need like the five minute, you know, speed yoga, which of course is counter to everything yoga stands for. So, but um, which I think is funny. So I have to like give myself a break because it's about just back to like, let's call it paying attention. You know, if being present is an elusive goal for me, then I'm going to call it paying attention. And if I can celebrate okay, like when it hits me over the head and I realize all things aligned for that minute, like uh, the aha, you know, can I celebrate that and just sit there and, and pray in thankfulness for just that 10 seconds that I've got, you know? And, and that's kind of how I'm doing it, you know, like these, these kind of popcorn little mini moments of, of mindfulness. Um, I don't think I'm the most Zen person in the world, you know? Don't know if I'll ever be. I just don't think I was made that way. But I am striving to really be more aware uh, instead of just kind of bulldozing through things and instead of just always eyeing the end goal, like just what about today? And that's, that's kind of what I'm fo- trying to do nowadays is just chill a little bit. So looking back is the opposite really of being there at the moment, but what have you realized about this thread you know, throughout mm. your life, like how mm. it sounds like what, if I heard you right, that you said that you first got involved in like the women's empowerment stuff mm-hmm. because you were tasked for this work task force thing. Yeah. And, and that was like your first exposure. Yeah. So a, you know, why did they pick you B, how did you feel, you know, like yeah. at the time, was it just something else to, you know, conquer? Like, all right, yeah. it's, it's, a stupid, yeah. it's a stupid task force, but I got to do it. Or, you know, right. like, like right. That, what, what was that evolution of all that? Well, I think the whole concept of, of looking back and how it all threads together, I think that's an interesting conversation. Because when you think about like, okay, when you look back and you see um, a synergy between in your life, you know, some common threads. Was that like always predestined to be that way? Or did you create that by, you know, leaning into the areas that most interest you at the time and then they continue to interest you and you found those doors? And, you know, it's I, funny when, when I first became a Christian and came to faith, I remember the way that, that I learned it was like, you know, God's got this plan for you. And I always felt like the wording was so problematic because it was like a plan that I had to find somewhere. Like it was one specific plan. Mm-hmm. And it really yeah. worried me that I was going to choose the wrong plan. Like, does he want me to go to Vons or Ralph's? You know, like, what if I choose poorly, you know? And I remember like, as I got older and realizing like, it's, it's not about that particular word. It's that the plan is love. You know, it's how we show up every moment of every day. That's the plan. And it doesn't mean there's one right answer of I should move in this house because it's introduced me to this person. That'll drive us crazy trying to figure out the unknowns, you know? So I think in retrospect, when I look at commonalities in my life, um, 
you know, did growing up alcoholic and needing to please people help me where I am today in, in empowering women? You know, maybe. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, the grace of having good people in my life and good counseling and good learning that, that I've been able to take whatever crap happened and turn it into good over time. And that's because others were doing the same. And I happen to be a beneficiary of their good grace in my life at that time. You know, I'll tell you, I've had wonderful female role models in my life. And even my mom, for all of her demons that she struggled with, with alcohol abuse, was a strong businesswoman, unheard of unheard of a successful businesswoman with six kids. You know, most people with six kids are stay-at-home moms and she just, she, she wouldn't, it was unheard of, you know? So um, I've had great bosses that were both women and men. And so I count kind of all of that uh, as a blessing. I've definitely had crap too. We've all had goods and bads, but I feel like I've had better, more good bosses than bad. And that has all helped model for me how I want to lead uh, others. So I guess that's a long-winded answer to like, was this a predestined path I was on or was this, again, the path that was open to me? As I became more open as a person, I think that's when, you know, the yellow brick road of, of whatever I'm interested in kind of just illuminated along the way. And, and this is where, you know, I kind of feel at home um, in, in this kind of work. And um, I also think it's great just to, to let younger um, I, I end up counseling a lot of younger professional women and they struggle with like that work-life balance, especially in my industry, which is live events and hospitality industry, which is a really high stress industry. And, you know, it's a lot for a young woman who wants to start a family, maybe get married. And then she also wants to be successful. And um, so it's nice to be able to coach them through and whatever wisdom I can give them is like, Hey, you know, We've all figured out a path. You'll get there. You, you, it can all, it can all work out. So that's that's fun for me right now too. Yeah, and that is so hard. You know, when you're like, okay, I've got 20 more years experience on this for you, and remembering how you felt. Yeah. But to tell you that here are these key things, and you got to find your own way. Yeah. With those key things, like you can't lose yeah. these tenants. You know. Right. But within that, you have freedom and flexibility yeah. because your way is not the yeah. only way or the right, right way. It was the right way for right. you. Yeah. Right. And, and it's okay. You know, why is failure such a bad word, right? Like we are all so worried about failing. It's like, no, that can just, it's a learning experience. I mean, I think if we reframe that word, that failure is just a, another opportunity to try something different or however you want to do it, then we're not as afraid to make some decisions. And I get people need to pay bills and they, you know, there's responsibilities we all have, but I see a lot of people stay in jobs uh, because they're afraid of change and afraid of, of really pursuing what they really want to do. They're afraid of failing and not getting there. And instead they'll just stay in mediocrity and it's heartbreaking to watch. And so I, I try to kind of coach some of the women through that also. I also remember a really good piece of advice. One of my favorite bosses ever gave me and she said, Hey, you can have it all, but just not all at the same time. Uh, yeah. And that really, isn't that cool? It mm -hmm. just really helped me kind of exhale a little bit like, Hey, you know, if I need to focus on my family right now, I remember when I first had our son, Evan, if I need to focus on, on learning how to be a mom right now and take a lesser job, that is a-okay. You know, it's nobody's business. My job trajectory and the joy choices I made over my career, it's nobody's business. Why am I always so worried about that? You know, and, and those are things that I just had to learn over time. But um, that was just one piece of advice that always stuck with me. 
And I've never heard that said the exact way, but it reminded me of the one that kind of gets thrown around a lot. Um, have you heard about the balls juggling and what no, the balls are that. made of? Okay. So yeah. everyone's juggling balls. Yeah. And you have to decide which each ball is, right? Mm. But mm. you're juggling them and you can't juggle them all, all at the same time. You're just not that, you'll never be that good of a juggler, right? Right. And so you right. have to say, okay, which balls can I drop? Which balls yeah. are okay if I miss that one? Yeah. Some yeah. balls are fragile and some balls, you know, mm. will break and other mm. balls will bounce. Like yep. the, the, the career one, the career one yep. will bounce. Yep. No, that's good. You know, the, the children yep. one won't bounce. It will break. Right. Oh, that's a really good analogy. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find it where it's like a meme and it's very succinct and pithy. Not the way I tell it. <laughs> Works yeah. for me, Laura. Works so, for me. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, books that come up, mm. you know, in our lives. And we've already talked about that yeah. a little bit. But uh, for you, I thought about besides books, let's talk about music that comes up because oh my gosh, I love we this. are so yeah. intertwined with music. And yeah. like if, if I had never moved to San Diego and maybe if I had never become friends with you, I never would have really embraced the style council and Paul Weller and all that, which and is everything but the girl. And yes, but it's, yes, but it's Paul really, because that's why Simon and I bonded. He was like, you know, who <gasps> Paul Weller is you're kidding. No, oh, I didn't know that about you, yeah. Simon. Oh, I love that. So his, his episode will be coming out probably right before Thanksgiving. And so you get to hear the whole story, but yeah, Paul Weller. Oh is, my gosh. Is I love key. it. Um, oh, that's great. And so he, you know, he's heard that if I hadn't moved to San Diego, I probably would never would have heard of these bands because, you know, 91X. So, right, um, right. you know, we didn't have internet. I had very limited <laughs> musical choices. Uh, right. They weren't really being played on uh, MTV. So anyway, right. so music came to mind for you. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I thought about, have you listened to Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore? You know what? I have heard only a few songs. I saw the video, the one where she's dressed like a man. I think uh, that's a great song. And uh, oh, the, if, I I, so, man, if I were a man, if I were a man, yeah. That, okay, so that's the previous album, not the most current. Oh, one. okay. I, it, I've heard only what's on the radio. She's been quite prolific recently, and she's really, really. I, I sound like an old pompous ass when I say it, but she's oh. growing up to be such a strong, insightful, amazing. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, yes, um, yes. So the man song, yes, very good. And I don't really watch videos because every time I do, it kind of ruins the song. <laughs> That's um, funny. Yeah. Oh, no, the song that I'm thinking of, of course, I can't get right now. And I don't. Oh, I do have my phone. Ha ha ha. Uh, well, either way, while you're while you're pulling that up, I will tell you, I saw her in concert. Oh. And I, be I became a Swifty. This is maybe nice. it was her 1987 album. What is it? 1984, 87 album yes yeah i know and, that one uh, yeah i was like blown away she's such a good performer such yeah. so the way she related to the audience i was like okay i get it i drank the kool-aid not that yeah. i went out and you know bought all her songs or anything but i, I right. respect i have respect for her so here's my taylor swift trajectory i heard her on the radio i thought okay she's okay you know a little poppy for me but yeah, okay yeah sure and right. then yeah. then she was on saturday night live and she was like what i don't know 15 or 17 or something ridiculous and right. i was like oh girl no she was scared she was nervous she couldn't oh. sing oh and and i attributed Awkward. that to that she is just a pretty face can maybe write a song mm -hmm. but she shouldn't be the one singing it someone else should be you know oh uh, yeah yeah 
and her confidence has grown and anyway so i definitely am now a swifty um, i the, love it the song on folklore that you made me think of is called my tears ricochet oh there's a line that says i didn't have it in me to go with grace huh oh yeah you got uh, it huh, huh. wow yeah you know i love i do love the topic of music lauren because i think it's it's for me it is how um chris and i bonded too my husband mm -hmm. and i bonded over you two and everything but the girl so he was so just like simon was blown away how you knew paul weller chris couldn't believe i knew who everything but the girl was and then um we've we our favorite band is you too and and it's like a spiritual experience whenever we see that concert you know it's like you know we barely even talk to each other when we're at those concerts it's like we are in the and i just think it's such a beautiful powerful thing to have as a couple you yeah. know that you because we'll go to like this is one of the things we can't wait to reopen again because we go to live music all the time and i know you would too you would go to the casbah and all these random little concerts of bands you never heard of and I'm not yeah. as deep as you. I need to at least know, kind of know who the heck I'm going to see, but I love live music. But then, you know, I dragged you to the Goo Goo Dolls when you had no, you knew one song. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, those are the, the diamonds in the rough that you're like, wow, I saw them win. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I'm grateful for them. So what music, instead of saying yeah. what books have kind yeah. of come into your life at the right time, what music has come into your life at the right time? You know, I'll tell you again to attribute my husband. He really has great taste in music. So he'll throw me a lot of indie, indie uh, groups that I've never heard of that I'll get into. And the one that has really grown on me, they're not indie anymore. They've been around. But we, we live in North County, San Diego. And the band Switchfoot grew up around here. And they're kind of, I mean, I guess you, they're really a rock band. But you would categorize them as Christian rock because they're a faith-based group. But um, they're definitely mainstream. They have probably 15 albums now. And oh, wow. so... Switchfoot led me into another band called Need to Breathe, and they're out of Nashville, and really remind me of you too. You know, when you look at the lyrics behind these bands, these are like poets, and then they layer on rock music. This is not about, you know, over-engineering it in a, in a studio somewhere. It's really all about the lyrics, and then you add a few guitars, and I mean, it's just heartfelt, soulful music. So those are two bands in the last five years that we've probably seen several times each year, you know, as soon as they're within a hundred mile radius, um, we'll go around there. So those are a couple that, that come to mind. Other than that, we, we still have been seeing you two every year and some of that we, we went on a kind of a big, I don't like big concerts as much, Lauren. I like oh, the smaller, you know, it's because so of the crowd. I, like, I hate the crowd. Yeah. I just want to be closer to the artist and you can't do that at a larger place. So we found there's a guy named Lloyd Cole who was from the eighties uh, and we went up to um, the wheel turn in LA and watched him. We saw Matthew sweet. Um, oh, I love Matthew guy. sweet still. Yeah. He was at the Casbah, saw him. We saw, we saw the fix, a bunch of eighties bands kind of go through this area and we, we've seen a, several of them lately, like echo and the bunny man, psychedelic oh, nice. furs. Yeah, we saw a great New Order concert up in LA a couple of years back. They just rocked it. They still sound awesome. So I'll always see those guys if they kind of those big 80s bands that are still legit and can still hold a tune. Uh, so yeah, Chris usually finds us some good stuff. I, like I said, before this lockdown, we were probably, I don't know, like a concert a, a month at least, you know, a live concert. We're lucky we live by the belly up at Tavern here in Solana Beach, which is like five miles away, and they have really good shows. And oh, we see the English Beat Lauren like twice a year. They play there 
every uh, 4th of July, they have like standard concerts, Christmas and 4th of July. So we'll see. And it's only a venue that holds like 500. So, you know, you wiggle your way up there, you're front row, baby. You know, you're dancing that, that and you're dancing for three straight hours because you know every song the English Beat has ever, <laughs> ever done, yeah. you know? So, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's still a huge part of our relationship and, and where we find our joy, kind of travel and live music. So lyrics are the key part for yeah. you guys, for both of you or more you? For sure. I mean, it's got to have, I mean, I like a good, I like a good, you know, saxophone. I, there's some, there's some instruments that really resonate with me, but if the lyrics suck, then, you know, I'm just, that's where the differentiator is for me. If the song has some meaning that relates to me. And then again, the music layers on top of that. But I don't think I'd re- I'd drawn to music without great lyrics so much, you know, kind of kind of over that. So, what do you think of Mumford and Sons? Oh, I like them. They're super talented. We saw them in concert too. I mean, just the energy—you can't help it, you know, get drawn into them. And who was the other one? There's two bands that are similar. They're both that kind of that Irish Mumford and Sons and one other that are just uh, just a good time. You're kind of exhausted by the end of that concert because you're just trying to keep up. But I like them. I'm not a huge follower, but I did enjoy the concert. Well, so, you know, we saw each other a couple of years ago and I made sure that you went out to Red Rocks because Red yes. Rocks is super important here in Colorado. But it's super important to us, you know, being U2 fans. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I was like thinking like it's the holy grail of places, yeah, you know. It's a spiritual place. Yeah, yeah it is. I get it. Oh, my I gosh. And there are people here, you know, who talk about how they saw you two there and I just want to kill them. Oh, boy. Darn you jealous. It's true. Yeah. But we saw Mumford and Sons there and it was after just their first album and we loved their first album. But, mm. you know... Uh, sometimes, you know, you don't like people live as much as you like them on an album. And so, you know, I always go into a new band first time, like, oh, you know, it should be great, but, Uh but what's going to ruin it? Probably the crowd. So, um, (laughs) they actually put on such a good show that my husband who has seen Pink Floyd like five times said (laughs) that it was the best show he's ever seen. Wow, that's high praise. Yeah. And don't you think it's the whole experience too? You know, like you being at Red Rocks and like that sky and that open. I mean, it's it's if you're paying attention back to our theme of this, right? If you're paying attention to all those elements, that's where that the beauty of it all coming together. Right. And I just think, you know, as we're as we're older, that's one of the joys of kind of going through life a little bit longer is you know when you know how to pay attention better and you know, like, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into this because this could mean something. You know, and I, I don't think I had that awareness before. I think I would just go into a concert and not think about it. But if I'm seeing that kind of concert at that kind of venue, I'm taking it all in. Yeah. And the nice thing when people go to Red Rocks, particularly for the first time, and it wasn't our first show or whatever, but you can always just feel when the crowd is like mm. that they're there for the first time or it's a special to them band and they really care about it, you know, and yeah, there's a yeah. definite feeling of a energy in the crowd yeah. that I really appreciate that I yeah. almost never feel indoors. I, I almost hate going uh, to indoor shows now. Uh-huh. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Even though that was probably the best concert I've ever been to, the most spiritual concert I ever went to was a different one at Red Rocks. It was Peter Gabriel. Oh, wow. Wow. He was amazing. And it was a summer show. Mm -hmm. And 
and you have yet to go to a show there, right? Right. Haven't been to show there. Well, when shows come back, and I tell people all the time, especially who, if they're like in the South and it's so hot and yeah. sticky in the summer, I'm like, build your vacation around a show at Red Rocks and come out and see oh, me yeah, in the whole bit. It. So it was the summer and we get a lot of rain and thunderstorms in the summer. Yeah. yeah. And you're up in the stands facing the stage, but you have Denver behind the stage and all the lights are coming on and twinkling and all that, you know? And then the best is when like the moon starts to come up and people actually stop listening and they're like, whoa, look at the moon, you know? Huh, and huh, huh. For, wow. for that particular show, I can't even remember if there was moon or not. I don't think so because of the storm. So a mm. storm was brewing. I think it was all moody and cool and mm. everything. And there was lightning behind the crowd. And it was so funny because everyone's freaking out and actually applauding the storm. And Peter huh. Gabriel thought that they were applauding him. <laughs> but it was, it, it was magical how it went wow, together. And then it started raining as he was singing Red Rain. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, no wonder. So no wonder that's one of your most memorable experiences. I yeah. mean, that's like a 4D immersive experience, right? Like, totally. <laughs> that totally. is awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's special. So when you are feeling, I don't know what the word is, let's just say emotional, and then mm -hmm. I'll let you interpret that as you see fit. Mm -hmm. What bands or artists do you typically turn to? Mm. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I really, I do still listen to uh, everything but the girl. I'll go back to that playlist a lot and like that need to breathe kind of vibe to it. That singer songwriter, you know, Matt Carney is in that need to breathe same vibe to me. That's kind of a, a, a comfort level. And sometimes it's not so much the particular music or artist, but it's just sitting there undistracted listening to music, mm -hmm. you know, like turning off all the chaos and just sitting and chilling on the couch and like closing my eyes and letting the music sink in because it can play in the background all day long and I won't notice it. I won't know all that beauty and you can't hear the interplay of the instruments and you can't remember that lyric, but it's a matter back to really just focusing and being mindful. And so, so that's what I'll do sometimes too, is just take a break, go out, maybe sit in, in our little beach area here and just listen to the song, you know, really listen to it in a way I haven't before. So it's, it's a therapy method for sure. So I actually pity people who didn't grow up with like going to their room and just listening to the whole album. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. You know, right, right. I know there's some gems there, right? There's some, you just never know. It's funny. I think about like, was it synchronicity? You know, mm. that album was like almost perfect. And then they throw the damn mother song on there. And it's like, that's when we're like, okay, you won't know unless you listen to the whole album because that, that song would never make the airwaves, but it just kind of makes you laugh. You know, like the, it's almost a flawless album <laughs> except for that song, you know, which makes you want to hurl the album out the window. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of the bad things about albums that it was hard to skip a song you know <laughs> right, right i got really good at lifting up and moving <laughs> over you know exactly. but one of my go-to people for everything basically just to get through life is damien rice have you heard oh, of? oh he is great absolutely chris turned me on to him he's great yeah he yeah is he how did you find him 
Again, I just find oh, him through my husband. But. Oh, that's a great question. Again, coming to you when you need him. Yeah, yeah. I, my head says something. My gut says something else. I don't know. I think maybe it was through Tori Amos. <gasps> Which is great. Tori Amos is great too. Right. Lauren, I you and I really were separated at birth. I know. And Chris too. Um, <laughs> although I can't dance like you guys still can anyway um so like my head is saying that they work together on an album but i'm pretty sure oh. that he already had several albums out by the time that she had him on so i don't know i'll oh, I don't, i'll have to look i'll have to look through their discography but okay he he gets me through oh so many tough tough times mm -hmm. and he is so brilliant so when he was coming to red rocks I like stopped the world. I made sure I got us tickets, you know, like sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I'll try to log on right. at the right time and get the right tickets. And other times you're like, no. Yeah. I'm waiting I, in line. I'm I, waiting in line. I'm doing what else, I gotta do. I'm stopping. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, True. And, and I had already seen him at a really intimate record store type of a thing where, oh, lucky. where there was literally no space for the crowd. They had like a little box like a little a pallet basically for yeah. him to stand on and they packed it in it was super illegal that there was no way out if anything <laughs> happened you know <laughs> but i was like i'm gonna see him i don't care um, oh man so anyway was it I, just him and his guitar yeah yeah oh, wow. and that and and i figured for the for red rocks he was gonna bring other people or other instruments yeah. or whatever nope it was still just <sighs> him just wow his guitar and his little like I forget what they call that mixing machine where you loop yeah, it, you know, yeah, you do, yeah. a, do a little something and it records it and then you play over that loop. So it has a multi-layered sort of track yeah. thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's just him, like one tiny little guy down there on the stage yeah. and yeah. just shooting his voice, you know, up oh. into the crowd. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe how good this is. And it was <laughs> one, of those, one of those experiences where, Everyone was there because they loved him. And so mm. I could tune out the freaking crowd that drives me nuts. And, um, <laughs> and Simon turns to me and he says, no one should ever sound that good. Like, wow. Yeah. Well, the yeah. way it was just worked with the acoustics and wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Unforgettable, right? It'll yeah. always be in your brain. Wow. Yeah. So you need the show. Okay. Uh, there I'm in. Red Rocks. But also, I'm you know, if you ever get to see him, I would definitely do it. Oh, so good. yeah, I'll keep my eye out. So do you read books about like your favorite artists? Like have you read YouTube books or anything? You know, I'm not a big biograph biography reader. So no, I haven't. We have several. I have a lot of YouTube books and I kind of know the stories, but I haven't read. The last book I read was Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It just oh, yeah. came out. Mm -hmm. And then right before that, I read Melinda Gates's book, The Power of Lift. She's talking about women's empowerment, mostly in developing nations. So kind of go back and forth. I don't always read books like that. I'll throw in a, I read just a, you know, a fiction, I'm probably one, one fiction to two nonfiction ratio person. But uh, when, when I go in bouts too, like I'll read pretty steadily for four months and then I'll drop it for five months and I'll pick up another book. So it's just kind of in and out. It's not, not like you. I think you're kind of a steady reader. Well, I have my own book group. And so even if I don't feel like it, if I feel like I need to go through one of those phases that you're like, you just need to check out, I still can, yeah. you know, yeah. so I can check out from everything but the book group book. But I, I do the same thing. You just, 
there's sometimes you're a voracious reader and sometimes you're right. not, you know, and that's, right. that's totally okay. As long yep. as you're a reader, you know, that's the main thing. Right. I agree. But I have found that I need to read uh, nonfiction during the day and fiction at night. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. I can't huh. do it the other way around now. I don't know what it is. Oh, I might try that. That might be an interesting helper when you're trying to relax at night. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I cannot do, especially things like, even though Glennon Doyle's Untamed is like generally short chapters. Sure. Right, right. They're usually so sort of, you have to think about it. You have to mull yeah. it over. I, exactly. I, I don't think I can go to bed thinking about that stuff. That's like yeah. the sort of slow percolating throughout the day. At, yeah. like I'll read a chapter in the morning and then I'll stop. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I hear you. I totally hear you. And that's a really good point about reading more of a lighter fiction at night. Cause uh, I think that your brain just needs a, ch a place to just wind down. <laughs> so I'm going to try that actually. That's cool. a good idea. Cool. So what did your women's empowerment group think of untamed? Were they all into it? Well, it's an interesting. So we, that was what we talked about last night and specific chapter that I brought up was her chapter around women competing with other women. And I think we universally we felt that there was validity to what she was saying. And it's her point of view is that that's our programming. You know, women are programmed from a very early age to sit there and look nice and be likable and don't be too proud of your accomplishments and just be easy to deal with. And so when we see a woman show up that is confident, has a swagger, it has no problem bragging about her accomplishments. We're like, geez, what gives with her? And we instantly feel threatened or we get pissed off at her. And it's like, why is that? Why do we want to take that cheetah and put him back in the cage, you know, with her running metaphor that she has throughout the book? And I thought that was a really good point, you know, and I, I it just, and, and I mean, we, it just goes in and out of our lives. It's not like for even me, as much as I talk about this stuff, I ever have it like totally solved. I mean, there's definitely women that I'm jealous of and it's like, okay, why, why does it matter? You know, why am I, what's really at the core of, of my envy of her. And so it was a good conversation. I think everybody, every, it brought up different things for different people. I mean, I think some of the folks that we were, that were there last night, were talking about their competition with their own sisters and how they, how that has really been this kind of tension throughout their whole lives. And so, yeah, it was good, good conversation. Okay. So that reminded me, have you watched The Good Place? No, is that a, no, is that a show? Oh on, my God. Yes, okay, you right need to watch it. You need to watch it. The Good Place. Okay. So okay. I think that you will adore it. Okay. Particular. Th there's so many reasons why. I don't. Okay. I almost don't want to tell you anything because it will color. <laughs> and I want you to come back and then I can go. Yep, that's one of them. Yep, that's okay, one of them. Okay, okay, good. So good. It's about. It's it's a comedy, but it's about morality, and that's ah. all I'm gonna say. Okay. And, and don't look anything up because you'll okay. get you'll get spoilers. Okay. But there there is one character who has a, a serious issue with her sister, and that's uh, what triggered that. But it's so funny. I think you will okay, I'll love it. I'll check um, it out. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your vulnerability in talking to me. And I also want to remind you that you know I was percolating about maybe starting my own podcast, and then we met in yes. January. I do remember this. And I, I think I brought it up that night, right? You I did. did. Okay. You did. And then I announced it to the world like the next day or 
Yeah. I'm so proud of you, well, Lauren, you. how it all came together. I absolutely remember that dinner where you said you were going to do it. And I'm so proud that here, and here you are well, well launched by now. Good job. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again for being that spark. Oh, Lauren, always so great seeing you and talking with you. You're a dear friend and I'm thankful that we have known each other this long. I know. <laughs> that's right. And we're not done yet. We that's, got a lot of friendship left to go. That's so. right. I hope to see you soon and take care and love you and goodbye. Love you too. Bye, Lauren. Well, Revelers, I won't keep you. Now that we have a sponsor, these intros and outros are going to take a little longer. So I just encourage you to get the help you need, whether it's leaving a voicemail on your friend's phone so that they can uh, hear it later or send you a word of cheer, or it's getting actual trained people, not just your friends, to give you a helping hand. We all are in this together, and I hope that you use our different feedback Varieties. I've got email, I've got Facebook page, and the Twitter feed are all places where you can write and comment about anything. Please use that. Use that to stay in touch. Our next week is Ineta, another women's empowerment specialist. (laughs) 